0: Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 1. And Adam knew, his, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first things of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. And thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass, that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word. Lord, there's so much here that is foundational to what we believe. So Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's remember where we have been. We're in our study of new beginnings. And this is the reason for our study of Genesis. I want you, every day, to have a new beginning in your faith. That foundationally, God wants to do something in your life. I wonder if there was ever a time when you were closer to God than you are right now. I wonder if there was a time when you were more faithful in service than you are right now. I wonder if there was a time when you sat farther forward in the church than you do right now. And it's so interesting to watch people, how they're serving the Lord and they're excited, and then you watch them, they start moving farther and farther back. Valerie Enyart. No, she started in the back. We've never been able to get her to come forward. But it's interesting how you get people and they start moving to the back and then they're in less services, they're less involved, and all of a sudden they're gone. Folks, we need a new beginning. We need a new beginning. I don't know about you. I've been saved now since I was 15 years old. What's that, 31 years I've been saved. 31 years. And I, do you know what? This is going to amaze you from your pastor. Do you know it hasn't all been up on the mountaintop? And your Christian life, it gets to where you start to have highs and you start to have lows. But spiritual maturity is when those lows don't go as low anymore. And you just get a le- to a level of faithfulness, faithful service. There's another reason why we're spending so much time In this first section of Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are the foundation for everything that we believe. Everything that you and I believe. Everything that happens in the rest of the Bible. Has its foundation in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Every doctrine that we believe. Everything that we do is based there. So we're spending some time there. Now here with Cain and Abel. We're spending some time. Why? Because here we're seeing that there are two different ways. Remember we looked at it two weeks ago. the, The contrast between Cain and Abel. That in Cain and Abel, we see a battle of two seeds. And if you remember from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God promised that he would put enmity between thy seed and her seed, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That began a a battle. Then we understand from 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12 that the reason that Cain slew Abel was because he was of that wicked one. And again, that was Satan trying to stop the descendant of Abel from becoming the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a battle. There's a battle. We also learn in the book of Jude, verse 11, that there is a way. In Genesis chapter 3, the last verse, we find that God set cherubims and a flaming sword to guard the way of the tree of life. Jesus Christ, John 14:6, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Have you been to the Lord? Have you been to God through Jesus Christ the Son? That's the only way. He said, "I'm the door; you can only go in by the door." That's it. Jesus said He was the way. In Acts chapter nine, you have Saul persecuting those that were of that way. What way? The way, the truth, and the life. People who teach salvation by grace through faith in the finished blood, uh, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, according to Jude chapter Jude verse eleven. There's a way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? That's you coming the way that you want to. And remember what we said about Cain. Cain was not an atheist. He believed in God. Cain also worshipped God. But he was rejected. Don't ever miss this. Cain was rejected before he killed Abel. He was rejected because he did not approach God based on sacrifice. Based on a substitute. The reason that we're spending so much time on this story of Cain and Abel is I want you, every person here, I want you to know that the only way to approach God is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, we are an independent, Bible-believing, King James-only, devil-hating Baptist church. Amen? We believe that men ought to look like men and women ought to look like women. Amen? We believe that people are supposed to be different From the world. God cares about what you watch on television or at a movie. God cares about the music that you listen to. God cares about the way that you dress. God cares about the way that you raise your kids. God cares about the way you function in society. Amen? None of that has anything to do with whether or not you go to heaven. None of it. Are those things important? Yes, of course they're important. But do you understand how many people there are in the world that are going to church today? They're worshiping today, and when they die, they're going to go to hell. That's why we're spending so much time on this. I want you to understand that the foundation of your faith is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, not anything that you do with your hands. So let's look at this, and I want us to see, number one, and if you have your handout, this is the same handout from last week. I filled in the first page for you because that's as far as we got last week. And uh, we'll review that beginning, and then we'll carry on, okay? So if you want to use the same one you had last week, you still have it, that's fine. If not, you can run with this new one. So number one, I want you to see a brilliant picture. A brilliant picture. in letter A, Abel as a type of Christ. Now, a type in the Bible is where God gives us an example in an individual or in an object that later on you have the fulfillment of it. And so Jesus Christ, Abel, is a type Of Jesus Christ. Number one. Abel was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. Our Lord is a shepherd. The good shepherd. Number two. It was as a shepherd that he presented his offering unto God. And it was as a shepherd that Christ presented his offering to God. Then number three. Though giving no cause for it. He was hated by his brother. Cain was jealous of his brother. Without a cause for it. Jesus was hated by his brethren according to the flesh. Number four. It was out of envy that Cain slew him. And it was through envy that Christ was delivered up to be crucified. Now, that's as far as we went. And I want to review a little bit from last week before we dive into this week's material. We talked about Cain being envious of Abel. And that's why he killed him. And remember, when Abel's sacrifice was accepted, Cain's was rejected. Now, I like this question. How, how was... How did they know that it was accepted? And how do they know that it was rejected? How did they know? Well, I believe that when you look at the the sacrifice, seven times in the Bible, including this one, remember seven is the perfect number of, of God, seven times in the Bible, when an offering was made to God, he came and received it in fire. And I believe that that's the way that Jesus Christ received the offering of Abel. And that's how Cain knew immediately that his sacrifice was rejected. So God comes to Abel and says, and says to him, Why art thou wroth, thy wrath? why is thy countenance fallen? And remember, we talked about it. When you have your children, hey, what's that look on your face? Get that look off of your face. How many of you ever said that to your kids? How many of you ever had your parents help you get that look off your face? <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah, look at this guy right here. Oh, man. And I just want to tell you, don't forget that lesson. Don't forget that lesson. When you see a a child's face that's just contorted in rebellion, well, just because they are acting outwardly in obedience, their heart is in disobedience. Amen? So deal with that. Deal with that. Be aware of what's going on in your children's life, your your child's life. (laughs) Jocelyn Elders, your children. Now, be, be aware of what's going on. Remember what the Bible says. It says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So here's the idea. When I am disciplining my children, when I'm disciplining Lydia, my desire for Lydia is not to make her mad. Ly, did you know that my, my job is not to make you miserable? Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, she was, yeah, maybe. <laughs> my job is not to make her miserable. My job is to make her Christ-like. My job is not to raise her to be rebellious. My job is to raise her to know how to receive instruction. So if my instruction is only raising anger in her, well, then I'm not doing my job. Now, that doesn't mean if she gets angry that I stop. What that means is I must persuade her that what I'm doing is for her good according to the word of God. Amen? And so that's so important. God cared about what was going on in Cain's countenance. I need to care about what's going on in my child's countenance. I do not want surly kids. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it's funny, you watch kids, especially young people. And I can't say anything because a while back I looked at my old yearbook, my high school yearbook. And this is the picture of me that is in the high school yearbook. (laughs) Why, of all pictures, did they have to put that one in there? I hope I didn't look like that all the time. And it's interesting how we allow that kind of thing in our young people, and it's showing that there's no life to what's going on. They did not care about what was happening in that setting. So when I'm disciplining my children, I am being aware of what's going on. In their countenance. Amen? God cared about the way Cain acted. But there was a, the reason that God cared about Cain was because Cain's sacrifice was inappropriate. It was the wrong kind of sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice was the right sacrifice. When you get down to Genesis chapter 4 and look at verse 13, and Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. I quoted this verse last week The way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. And it's interesting to me that I will counsel with people and they make bad decisions and then they don't understand why life is hard. If you go against God's command, your life will be hard. If you don't handle your finances according to the word of God, your life will be hard. And disobeying God in those areas will never make it better. If you do well, look at what it says. This is, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If you do well, your life will be good. If you do bad, life will be hard. How many of you understand that? All right, so now, let's go on. Then, in uh, number 6, or number 5, Abel, then, we're talking about now, we're back to the message about how Abel is a type of Christ. Abel, then, did not die a natural death. Abel did not die a natural death. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Look at verse 22 for the context. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So the Bible says that Abel didn't die a natural death. He was with his brother in the field, and his brother killed him. Jesus Christ was taken by wicked hands. Number six, Abel met with a violent end at the hand of his own brother. Abel met with a violent end at the hand of his own brother. We're still in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and in Christ, This is the Apostle Peter preaching to the Jews. Jesus Christ's brethren, they killed him. They killed him just as Abel. So Abel is a type of Christ in that. Then number seven, after Abel's death, God declared that his blood cried unto him. After Abel's death, God declared that his blood cried unto him. And severe punishment was meted out upon his murderer. Now I want you to see something. Look at Mark chapter 12. In verse 9. Mark twelve nine. By the way, I didn't announce this. Here at Grace Baptist, if you're a guest, we just spend a lot of time in the Word of God. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles provided in the pew in front of you. So be sure and have one handy with you. But look at Mark chapter 12. And verse nine, what shall therefore we, we, we need to read this this whole parable so that you can get this verse one, and he began to speak unto them and by parables, a certain man planted a vineyard and set a an hedge about it, and digged a, a place for the wine fat, and built a tower and let it out to, and lent it out or let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandman the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, in him they killed, and many others beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. Now listen. It's so important that you understand this. Remember John chapter 1, verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Is that right? Is that what the Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, gave he power to be called the sons of God. So here's what happened. Jesus Christ and the parable is very simple. God sent, God created the earth and he gave it to us to tend. Then he sent his prophets. His prophets came and they killed them. They kept killing prophets. And he said, I'll send my son. He sent his son. What did they do to the air? They killed him. Well, now there's going to be judgment. They still have the offer. When you get into Acts chapter, chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, all the way through Acts chapter 7 and the Sermon of Stephen, they are still giving, uh, uh, they're calling to Israel. Jesus is the Messiah. And by the time you get into Acts, he's risen from the dead. And they're still rejecting him. So eighty, seventy. God sends Titus, the Roman general, and he completely destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and the land is gone. And he gives their land to another. He also took their place. He, he took Israel and he set them aside for now. And then he established the church. And in the church, the church is made up of Jews, Gentiles. Amen? Amen. Jews and Gentiles, we're not saying that we're against the Jews. What we're saying is that now the Jews, through the preaching of the gospel and assembling in churches, the gospel will be preached. Well, Jesus Christ is going to return. The church is going to be gone. Born again believers are going to be gone. And once again, through the tribulation period, God is going to start working in Israel, working in Israel, working in Israel. But this group who killed Jesus Christ, they all died. Separated from God forever. Let's go on. So that is how his sacrifice, or, Jesus, or Abel was a was a picture of Jesus Christ. Letter B, Abel's offering as a type of Christ. Abel's offering as a type of Christ. In Hebrews chapter eleven, it says that Abel presented an offering unto God. Look at Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. verse two and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sweet and or and a sacrifice unto God for a sweet smelling savor so his sacrifice was unto God number two the offering which Abel presented was the firstlings of his flock in other words this was a lamb. Well, we understand the lamb, or the offering Jesus Christ presented, was himself. And he was a lamb. He was a lamb. Look at 1 Peter 1.19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot... This is where Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of the offering, the offering. Number three, in bringing his offering by faith, Abel honored and magnified the will and word of the Lord. And we need to see that. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. He being dead yet speaketh. All right? Now, look at... um, Again, we're still number three. In presenting himself as an offering, Jesus honored and magnified the word of God. In presenting himself as an offering, Jesus honored and magnified the will and word of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice... And offering, and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. What's this being spoken of? Remember what the book of Hebrews is. Hebrews says that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than all the other prophets. Jesus' sacrifice is better. That's what's being spoken of. So you have all the blood that's been shed, blood of bulls and goats, sheep, uh, birds, all of these sacrifices that have been made. But every year they had to be made again and again and again. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ made his own sacrifice, that all those other sacrifices were done away with because his was accepted. His was complete. All right. So now let's go on. Number four, the offering which Abel presented is described as an excellent one in Hebrews eleven four. And we already looked at the verse in Ephesians 5, 2. The, pre- the offering Christ presented was an excellent one. It was a sweet-smelling savor. Number five, God had respect unto Abel unto his offering. In other words, he accepted them. He accepted them. God accepted his offering and the, the, the offering of Christ, and the proof is seen in the fact that he is now seated at God's right hand. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 12. But this man, after that he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now, I want you to mark that in your Bible, Hebrews 10, 12. How many times did Jesus Christ make the sacrifice? Once. Is the sacrifice made again every time we take communion? No. This is very important. This is a difference between biblical theology and other people that call their churches Christian. Jesus Christ suffered one time, one sacrifice is all that was necessary. Amen? The Bible says when we don't accept that sacrifice, we crucify him to ourselves anew, as if that sacrifice wasn't enough. Jesus' sacrifice was one, and it was accepted. We know it was accepted because after he sacrificed, he was risen from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he seated at the right hand of God, the position of power, showing that his sacrifice was accepted. Do you know what that means? Here's why this is so important to you. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was sinless. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, all of our sin was placed on him. When he cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he said, it is finished. The sacrifice was completed. Everything had been done that needed to be done to pay for our sin. Then he rose from the dead, and we're going to see this in a minute. He rose from the dead that proved that he was God. And now he sits at the right hand of God, the finished and accepted sacrifice. Do you know what that means? That means that if you're a sinner... If you're a sinner, do we have any sinners here? If you're a sinner, Jesus Christ's sacrifice is good enough for you. When you're born again, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you are saved and saved for all eternity. Amen? You don't have to get saved again and again and again and again. When you're born again, you're a new creature. How many of you here have been born? Right? Right? Well, you get born again spiritually. But every birthday that you have, are you born again? Every birthday? No. No, you just count the years since your birth. When you're born again, you can just count the years since your new birth and believe and rest in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The the sacrifice is finished. It's finished. He paid your debt. Rest in him. And then when you sin after you're saved, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? He'll just clean me. He'll clean me. All right, now, where are we? What number are we on? Did we do number six yet? All right. In the presentation of his offering, Abel obtained witness that he was righteous. Isn't that what the Bible says in Hebrews 11? Let's look at it. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. All right? Now, he wasn't righteous because of him. He was righteous based on the sacrifice. God accepted the sacrifice, and Abel was declared righteous. You are declared righteous when God accepts the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. Isn't that wonderful? All right. now I want you to see this. Let's go on with that. While presenting himself on the cross as an offering to God, he, Christ, obtained witness that he was righteous. Look at Luke 23:47. Luke 23:47. If you look at verse 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Isn't it amazing how Christ and his sacrifice was a type of Abel and his sacrifice? Every detail, every detail. Uh, this past Tuesday, Laura and I went to the Creation Museum. How many of you have not yet been to the Creation Museum? Would you raise your hands? You have got to go. It is, it's just an amazing place. Imagine Disney World for Christians. The, the designer of the rides at Universal Studios designed the displays at, at, at the, the Creation Museum. It is as nice as any place you'll ever go. And what they have there is they have, as you come through it, a presentation called the last Adam. And they talk about. They show Christ. And they have the centurion standing there. Talking to you in this. Saying how he had seen a lot of people die. But when Jesus died. There was something different. Do you remember what the centurion said? Truly. This was. The son of God. Jesus Christ's Sacrifice. Was Righteous. Then, number seven. After he had presented his offering, God publicly testified his acceptance of it. After he had presented his offering, God publicly testified his acceptance of it. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. So after he had presented his offering, God publicly testified his acceptance of it, just as he publicly condemned Cain's sacrifice. Is that right? All right. So now look at what happened with Christ. God publicly testified his acceptance of Christ's offering, by raising him from the dead look at acts chapter 2 and verse 32 this jesus this is acts 232 this jesus hath god raised up whereof we all are witnesses Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. So now look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now look at verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them, what does it say? Openly triumphing over them in it. In what? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. God publicly testified of his acceptance of Jesus Christ's sacrifice by raising him from the dead. All right, then number eight. Finally, Abel's offering still speaks to God. Abel's offering still speaks to God. That's what it said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you look back at your outline before we read the text, Hebrews chapter, or it says, Christ's offering now speaks better things to God. Christ's offering now speaks better things to God. Look again, this is Hebrews twelve twenty four, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Why does the sprinkling of Jesus Christ's blood Speak better things than that of Abel. Because when Abel brought the sacrifice all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, there had to be sacrifices made for another 4,000 years. 4,000 years of sacrifices still had to be made. And every one of those sacrifices, every one of those sacrifices, was there to cover sin. Because sin is an abomination to God. And without the shedding of blood, There's no remission of sins. Why is Jesus Christ's blood sprinkling better? Why does it speak better things? Once for all. Once for all. Notice, we have a communion table. We don't have an altar where we kill things. We have a table that says, This do in remembrance of me. The Bible says that when those sacrifices were made by the priests... There was remembrance of sin. Every year, sacrifice had to be made again. The high priest had to enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Every year that had to be done. Every year, every year, every year. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But when Jesus Christ died, that paid for your sin. And do you know what I love? His blood still speaks. It still speaks for me. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that he is the wicked one that accused the servants of God night and day. When Satan goes to God to accuse me, Jim Alter, of being a sinner, Jesus Christ's blood speaks and says, no, he's clean. (laughs) He's clean. There is nothing. I love to tell people this. When I lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, if I I led Patrick Kennedy to the Lord, and he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for his eternal life, you know what I would say to him? Patrick, I'm going to tell you something that's hard to believe. There's nothing else you ever have to do to go to heaven. Is that hard to believe? It's very hard to believe. That's why you've got to come to God as a child. And in childlike faith, place your faith and trust in him alone. And when Patrick receives Christ as his Savior, when he goes to the Lord and says, I can't save myself, I deserve hell, that blood of Jesus Christ is applied to his account and his sin is remembered no more. It's gone. Have you ever wished that you could forget I was on my way to the grocery store with my mom when I was 19 years old. I was driving, and a car pulled in front of us, and we ended up having to stop at a railroad crossing. The other car was just right in front of us. This big truck came across. It was a big garbage truck. A train hit it. I know I've probably told you this before. A train hit it, and the car ran over. The the, the big truck ran over the car in front of us. I looked in that car. There were five people in it. And the steering column had gone through the leg of the lady who was driving. And it it was just carnage inside that car. I wish I could forget that. You know, it used to be fun to watch horror movies. I've never watched one since then, 19 years old. Why? It's not funny anymore. I wish I could forget that. How many of you have something that you wish you could forget? Do you know what the wonderful thing is? If it's your sin and you've confessed it to Jesus Christ, it's finished. God has no remembrance of it. There's a song, it was a Southern gospel song that I heard years ago, and it's where somebody had gone to God, and he said, God, here I am with that same old sin I come to you over and over again. And God asked him, What sin? He couldn't remember it because it had been forgiven. Jesus Christ's blood speaks better things than that of Abel. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm so glad that I'm forgiven. So the first thing that we saw is a brilliant picture. Number three, I want you or number two, I want you to see Roman numeral number two, a beautiful purpose, a beautiful purpose. Look at First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, <clears throat> upon whom the ends of the world are come. Do you see what that says? All of these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition. God had a beautiful purpose in giving us the story of Cain and Abel exactly the way that he did. He had an amazing plan God's amazing plan. Do you know what God's amazing plan is? God's amazing plan was to present His Son as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And all the way back, when we look all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, let's go there, Genesis chapter 3, and verse 21, And unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. You see, it was God's plan all the way, all the way at the beginning of sin, that there would be death, there would be the shedding of blood, and then there would be covering. So now what God has done in His beautiful picture is he He shows Abel bringing this little lamb and sacrificing it so that we could be covered. I want you to see that. Look at Genesis chapter... 3 and verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves, themselves aprons. Look at verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou... Should us not eat? Do you know what happened? When they sinned, they were uncovered. If you're not born again, you're not covered. You are naked in your sin before God. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, God ordained that blood would be shed and you would be covered. When Jesus Christ died, you were covered in His blood if you'll receive Him as Saviour. You are either standing before God in your own nakedness or you are standing before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is God's amazing plan. It started before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God knew what was going to happen. It's God's amazing plan for you. Letter B, He did this for you. He did this for you. He did it for you. This is the thing that can be very hard for us to accept. We understand that he died for the sins of the world. For God so loved the the world that he gave his only begotten son. I like what Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 1800s. The Bible says in Romans Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. He said... That casts a wide loop. He said, surely, if it had said, if Charles Haddon Spurgeon shall call upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. That wouldn't have meant as meaningful to me. Because surely there's another Charles Haddon Spurgeon somewhere else in the world. But when it says, whosoever, that means me. Jesus Christ did this for you. For you. Look at John chapter 17 with me. In verse 20, a lot of you know where we're going here. John 17 and verse 20, this is Jesus Christ. He's just getting ready to go to the cross. And this is his high priestly prayer for us. Look at what he says in verse 20, he's praying for his disciples. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You know what you and I are doing right now? We're hearing about Jesus through his word. Jesus Christ right here was praying for you. For you. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. Remember, Jesus Christ is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. When Jesus Christ was praying here, I genuinely believe that he had Jim Alter on his mind. He had David Ree. He had Nathan Brynick. He had Greg Neth. Amen? Amen? He had Tristan Divins. He had He had you. On his mind. It doesn't matter if you're young like Noah joins. It doesn't matter if you're really old like Bob Maxwell. It doesn't matter. He had you. And that—that's Bob always says that's his favorite song when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He, this is for you personally. And, you know, there are people that are in churches all over the world right now today Depending on what time it is, they may have been to church already or they're going to go in a little while. And they're going to go and worship, but their worship isn't accepted because it's never personal. You see, the world doesn't need to be saved in a general sense. You need to be saved personally. He did it for you. Number three, a blessed promise. Letter A, this same Jesus is here for you in trouble. This same Jesus, this same Jesus. Do you remember what he said? He said, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. Now that he's gone, the comforter is here. The same Jesus is here for you when you're in trouble. Letter B, this same Jesus will come again for you. Look at Acts chapter 2, or chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And look at verse 9. Speaking of Christ, Acts 1 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven... And isn't that what you would do if you saw somebody just ascend into heaven? They kept looking. And as they looked, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. Into heaven. This same Jesus that died for you, this same Jesus is going to come back to get you. You know, that's mocked now. The fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. But do you know what I believe? Jesus Christ is coming back. This same Jesus is going to return from heaven and he's going to get us. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be the Lord, to, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He's this same Jesus is coming for you and for me. You know what? Do you know what my goal right now for this little section of the message is? let's let go of this world can you imagine if jesus christ returned and you were just holding on (laughs) i don't want to go i don't want to go of course not you're just going to be gone you're just going to be gone we need to start letting go of this world right now now we're not a cult you know we're not waiting for haley's comet to come by and we're going to jump on the tail you know heaven's gates cult remember that so they'll kill themselves, you know, so they can catch the, the train. We're not, we don't have any Kool Aid waiting downstairs. Amen? But we need to understand that Jesus Christ is returning. We need to be ready. Then, number three, or letter C, this same Jesus will forgive your sins. The same Jesus that died, the same Jesus that rose again, the same Jesus that's returning. This is the same Jesus that will forgive. Your sins. So how are you going to come? There are two ways. There's the way of Abel or the way of Cain. The way of Abel is to come by substitutionary sacrifice where Jesus Christ dies in your place. Or you can come by the way of Cain which is the way of death. There's a way that seemeth right unto man but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs sixteen twenty five. Look, we need to understand that there's one way Jesus Christ died for us. Our sins are forgiven. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.